The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So most of you probably remember that we'll have small groups this evening. And we're particularly looking at this connection between effort persistence, and mindful awareness. And both understanding sort of that application of mind, right? What do we do? The mind is this, like the mind participates in experience, right? It's, it's a factor so we're applying the mind, we're making effort, and uh, you know, effort is this neutral quality. We can make effort that causes suffering, screws things up, and we can make effort that is useful or onward leading to a release, an awakening, a seeing, and a learning, and under a deepening of understanding. And so at the beginning of the set, and maybe you know, this could be even something to talk about in your three minutes with your small group. It's like, what understanding, like when, when you clarify for yourself, like, what's the point? Like some of you know Viktor Frankl, this wise person, survivor of the Holocaust, Jewish psychotherapist, and after his survival of the Holocaust, where many of his relatives were killed, he wrote this book, I think it's called The Meaning of Life, or something like that. But one of the questions, you know, that became really alive for him is like, especially I'm guessing at that time, you know, why continue to live? And even though our situation isn't so dire, we have that same question, like why? Why continue to live? Why continue to put one foot in front of the other? So when we contemplate, like what is a value in this life? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I put my clothes on and do this and do that? Then whatever that, you know, and it will be different each time, but however in one moment we clarify and we have a sense of, what appears to this mind or this heart at this time to have value. And in a way, we know it has value because it's enlivening, right? It sort of fills the heart. The heart feels inspired, right? That's like breathing in, that inspiration, right? Instead of collapsing, absorbing into TV shows or, you know, whatever we do when we want to lose ourselves, We feel inspired, right? So there's that uplifting energy that allows us to make effort to persist at what seems of value. So this could be something you talk about in your small group, like what ideas, understandings, ways of understanding your life have that uplifting, motivating quality that allows the mind 
to apply itself to the process of living. And generally, you know, it, it's like uh, some sense of there's some learning to be learned here. There's something to wake up to. Because even though we generally don't see it, when we're in a depressed state, an angry state, a despairing state, there's a strong arrogance in the mind. Like the mind is arrogantly certain that life sucks and getting out of bed doesn't matter or something like that, right? When we close down, when we justify doing self-destructive behaviors, generally there's an arrogant certainty that it doesn't matter that I'm eating more than I need to eat or watching more than I need to watch or you know, whatever our particular unhealthy pattern might be when we want to close down, crawl into a hole or something like that. So when, when there's some understanding that we're tapping into and, and we feel that uplifting quality and then the, right, the effort, the application of the mind comes out of that, it's shaped by whatever that inspiring understanding is. And so, you know, generally for people who hang out here, there are a couple, you know, there's, it's not just one thing, and even the, the one thing, each of us would articulate it, decorate it in different ways. But one of the common things that is enlivening for people who, who hang out at a place, you know, like a Buddhist meditation center, is something about awareness is really exciting. It seems like, you know, might help me. And and we feel like we want to invest. Unfortunately, it can take, it go down this avenue where it ends up being that we, we just end up thinking about mindfulness or thinking about awareness. Or like uh, I think Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, our only enemy is forgetfulness. And our only real friend then, in a way, I mean, we could name a lot of things that we think are friends, but when we really look into it, they're the natural, they arise naturally when there's the continuity of present moment awareness. Things like kindness, for example, you know, oh yeah, I'm, that's my strongest value. But the fact is, kindness isn't, it's like it's more useful to value being intimate with my life just as it is you know, i.e. being mindfully aware, because the kindness that arises out of that value will be more authentic than for me just to directly value kindness because it's more of a abstraction, my idea of kindness, versus a tender-heartedness that naturally arises when there's some continuity of awareness, some ongoing intimacy, exposure to life. Same with, like, we might value wisdom. But it might be better to value being connected and intimate in an ongoing way and appreciating the flowering of that as some wisdom and kindness that then manifests more and more in our lives. And the other thing about connecting energy and effort and application of mind and you know, that wholeheartedness, resolve, commitment. These are the words, persistence. 
vigilance. Apamada is the Pali word. It's really a great Pali word. And I think I mentioned it earlier, maybe last week, but if I didn't, I'll just say it again. You know, the, these, the last words of the Buddha, most, some of you or maybe all of you know, but it's, it's just telling. <laughs> you know, it was that word, apamada. Now then, practitioners, I exhort you, all fabrications, all constructions of the mind, all things are subject to decay. Bring about completion by being heedful, by being vigilant, by being persistent, right? Be awake. And another way of this was translated, indeed, practitioners, I declare this to you. It is in the nature of all formations to dissolve. Whatever our mind thinks or imagines, or internal, external, it's the nature to dissolve. Attain perfection through diligence. Now these words generally push our buttons, right? Because we, we associate diligence, vigilance, persistence with kind of some egoic activity that often ends up with a sense of betrayal. Like I tried really hard to make the relationship work and then it didn't work. You know, I tried really hard to raise my kids to be good, but then they ended up you know, or, or even, you know, really what it is, is like I tried to train my mind, but it didn't, but it still doesn't behave. You know, I tried to be good, but I'm still bad. Or things like this. So then persistence and vigilance and these different words of effort get a bad name because it's not so much, like I said at the beginning of the talk tonight, Effort or energy is a neutral quality. So that's why this work around faith and confidence coming out of our, the hard lessons of life, right? So it's not borrowed faith. Someone told us we should believe in something. It's like what has our life taught us has value, right? When we distill all of the times we bumped our head against life, all the times we've had moments of release and opening and some taste of freedom. When we distill all of that learning, what values, what do we actually value? What seems, what qualities of mind seem to be in the direction of release and ease and freedom? I mean, would any of us say, well, being superficial and distracted, you know, or being lost in thought. None of us would say these things, right? We know as much as we spend a lot of our time lost in thought, when we have some balance of mind, we never think that being lost in thought is going to save us or lead to our heart being transformed in a way where we're just wiser and kinder and more immune from being pushed around in life. And probably, you know, if we, if we heard or thought ourselves, yeah, just, like I, I really feel more and more in my practice that, you know, that I kind of tried to emphasize that at the beginning of the guided meditation, you know, this, this, this intention to be right in the middle and to soften right in the middle 
and to let life have its effect on my heart, but to let whatever is moving, to let it in, to let it touch the heart, to practice not being afraid and to practice not being distracted, not being superficial, and and trying learning to catch all the ways I try to protect myself, like even focusing on objects of our experience can be a way of like disappearing. So that's why I mentioned in the guide it's said about the breadth of awareness. Just as a counterweight to a tendency like I'll get there with my nose, you know, the breath or whatever it might be, my mantra, my visualization, my prayer, my loving kindness, and I'll get into my little sweet spot and I'll wait out the set. And eventually the bell will ring and I you know, can check it off. I, I got through it again. You know, it's just like we do with the weeks and the months and the decades and as if somehow surviving is a noble approach to living. You know, I just want to survive until I die. I mean, when we say it out loud, again, it's just like, oh, is that all there is? Right? Like, what, what would be a more noble use of our lives than just surviving until we can't survive anymore? So a couple other things that might be useful in your um, small groups, uh, just some of the teachings around effort from the Buddhist tradition. So they sometimes talk about it, I mean, in different ways. I mentioned some of it last week. But, you know, there's um, three flavors of efforting. Like when we're really lost, caught in a groove, even where we really can feel that gravitational pull is when we wake up and we've been in a dream, even a nightmarish dream, you know there's a gravitational pull to go back to it, back to our, the content, back to whatever the mind's been lost in. So that's called launching effort, right? Where we sort of, the mind, the wisdom of the mind sees the writing on the wall. Like, if I don't rally the intention in my mind with the strength of that volitional efforting, I'm going to get sucked right back into whatever I've been lost in. And so the mind rallies, like, and it's, you know, most of you know this phrase, hiri otapa, this, these two Pali words, this wholesome uh, shame, regret for having fallen back into the hole so many times previously, right? And the wholesome concern fear that I'm going to do it again. So here he is this sort of like what it feels like to not have rallied the troops enough to keep myself from falling into that hole. And the otapa is the fear I'm about to do it again, make the same mistake again. And it's a force in the mind that we, we tap into. Like, and, and that is really that launching effort. Like, oh, I don't want to don't want to do this again. This isn't going to help. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to help. You know how it is. It's like you feel the, you know, looking for another website that might have something interesting to read. And and there's just some, it's almost sometimes it can have sort of a nauseous quality. Oh, honey. Because it, 
it's like a little taste of what we're setting emotion in our heart. Some of you know there's a really interesting sutta discourse where the Buddha gives five strategies for abandoning distraction, basically. And remember last week I mentioned the four exertions. This is one of the most common lists in terms of talking about right effort. Making the effort to prevent unwholesome qualities from getting established in the mind. Making effort to abandon them. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Making effort to develop, exerting oneself to develop wholesome qualities and to maintain them. Right. So that's kind of commonsensical. So in this way to abandon, the Buddha says that you know, we start with the, the effort to get rid of unwholesome qualities that are there in the mind um, with the, the, the strategies that have, have the least psychic weight. Right? We don't pull out the big gun right away. We say, well, maybe I can just be aware that there's a lot of anger in the mind and that stability of awareness, that honest presence might, isn't it true, sometimes just recognizing the unwholesome quality, it like pops or fades, evaporates, right? That's when the mindfulness has got some momentum, it's pretty strong. And that's all. We don't need to a more intense intervention in the mind stream. We can just be aware that there's anger. Oh, anger's being known. But if that doesn't work, then we might try substituting like, oh, anger really hurts and I care about it. And we pay attention to the fact that we care about how unpleasant the anger is. So we're bringing in compassion and kindness and we're tuning into that instead of tuning in to the ill will. Right? So that's called substitution. And then the next one, like the Buddha, the image he uses, is like noticing you have a, uh, a necklace of rotting flesh is to be disgusted by what the mind is doing. This is this hiriotapa, this wholesome regret. Oh my God, here I go again. Oh my God, I don't want to do this again. Right? So it's like, I mean, just in provocative terms, the mind is disgusted about the gravitational pull that it's under the influence of. Oh, is there any kind of strength to restrain the mind from doing this, and you know, kind of looking around, what can I? What objects can I grab a hold of? You know, it's like um, being creative on the spot. Just like um, you know, if we're in a dire situation, you just look for anything that will help. What can I grab? What can I use? What will help me here? You know, to take care of the wound or to fix the car or to you know, make a raft because the water's coming up. And then just to f- kind of finish off this list, each one gets into more psychic involvement, right? So being aware, substituting the opposite. So from ill will, we'd substitute kindness. If we were caught up in a lot of lust or greed, we'd contemplate the impermanence of it. So it's not actually like repressing or suppressing it. That comes later. That's a more psychically involved strategy that we use if we have to. But before that, it's like even while we're looking at it, now we're noticing the thing we really want 
but that we're noticing its impermanence. It won't last for very long. So it's not like we're taking our eye off of it. We're just noticing. Same thing with the ill will. We're noticing that it hurts and that I care about how much it hurts to bring in the compassion. So then there's the seeing the unwholesomeness, the disgusting nature of it, feeling that hiri otapa. If that doesn't work, just to ignore Then you just put your attention anywhere else. What can I pay attention to? What's going to be interesting enough that I can absorb into so I take my attention off of this thing? Because I don't know how to be wise with this, so I need to distract myself with some other object. I'll send you the sutta and an article about the sutta. Um, so you have this. It's a, it's a really useful sutta. Most of you have seen it before, but some of you probably haven't. And then the fourth is analyzing why I'm caught in this gravitational pull. You know, and like this is quite involved. Now the mind's quite involved. Like I'm thinking about like how do I keep getting caught in this thing? And it deconstructs. It sort of goes, okay, breaking it down or tracing it back. Like, how did I get? Because when we trace it back, we get to a place where the original seed was. And the interesting thing is, we can, even like if we're really caught, like let's say you're really in cycles of hate with a loved one, you know, really want to tear the person's hair out or really hurt them. And uh, they really seem to want to hurt you. And so you're really arguing or fighting in some way. And then you have a little space, you know, you're in the toilet, went to the bathroom to get some space. And you, you do this tracing back. And the interesting thing is if you can get back to like maybe at the very beginning it was just a subtle sense of, some old existential ache of not being seen, not being held, not being respected, or whatever it was, it doesn't matter. But it's like, and then you can change your relationship to that initial seed, and everything down the road to the gross, you're in the war with the other person, gets transformed because of that tracing back. Now, of course, each one of these interventions, we can, there's sort of a shadow, like, Endless proliferation would be the shadow of this particular strategy, right? Once you start thinking about it, because you can stay at this, like you're thinking about it may not have enough integrity to really use that curiosity and to go from gross to subtle or from present explosion to the underlying causes. And the last is suppression. Like (laughs) Buddha uses a very provocative image, crush mind with mind. And this brings about this brings up this really important point about effort. We can have a kind of a simple picture of what right effort is, because it's gonna it's gonna arise only in the moment. Like what the appropriate application of mind, the appropriate effort is, we won't know it unless we're actually connecting with the present moment. And it, even then, it's not like we're going to have some idea and that's going to be the perfect idea. We'll have some idea, we'll try it, and we'll learn something from that particular moment of applying the mind, participating in the present moment. And we'll see 
what seeds were planted by that moment of participating in the present moment, and that will inform how we're going to participate in the present moment and the next moment. And when you really start seeing this, you realize to make right effort, you have to get out of the way. Right? It's a natural process. And see how that really fits in. It's this essential paradox in the Buddhist teachings. You know, we need wisdom to develop wisdom. You know, chicken and egg kind of thing. Like, how can I know right effort without having made right effort, right? And had the insight that comes from right effort. But that's okay if we make the wrong effort as long as part of the effort is this reflective present moment awareness we'll see that effort's making things worse. Right? That application of mind have plant, has planted seeds of getting more tight. The mind, the clarity of mind is more distorted, more skewed. This isn't helping. And so the next effort may be just stopping making that effort. Like trusting Awareness, the humility of present moment awareness. And this is the great thing. I don't know about you, but a lot of my sitting, it's like trusting, not knowing what I'm doing. I would be quite suspicious if most of your sit involves a a sense of clarity of you being the meditator, knowing what you're doing. Right? Because... That's safe territory where we feel like uh, we're in this sort of orderly world where the mind knows what it's doing. And like I said, real right effort can only be a natural and therefore impersonal process. Like the effort that's being made is really coming naturally and impersonally out of being aware. The mind being open and sensitive and in a sense touched by what's showing up in the moment. And then that, the integrity of that, you know, willingness, the mind's willingness to be open, awake. Then with the value, you know, the sort of taste of freedom, the intuition that freedom is possible and the contact, what the moment is like, Right? then there's some response. Like It supports the arising of how the mind is going to apply itself, how the mind is going to participate in the next moment. In a way, it's, it just makes it confusing you know, to talk about effort when in, en- when in, in the end it, we realize it's a natural process. But in a way, we have to, from a sort of a self or egoic point of view, We have to make effort, apply ourselves, so that we can observe that it's a natural process. You know, we have to, it's like the worst thing to do from an egoic point of view is to sort of sit back and and wait for awakening to happen. It's better, like, to hear a teaching like this, that, you know, effort is a natural process, no one's really doing it, and to, to let that free us up. So that means I can really do it. I can really show up and try because the personality, the, the you and me that wants to be free and wants to have a better life, that's the natural process. It's not like something distinct from that egoic or personality sense of 
wanting to get my act together, wanting to become a better meditator, a wiser, kinder human being, that is the expression of that natural process. So we really want to free it up. I mean, this is what we tell our kids, uh, those of us who have been teachers or parents of young children. You know, it's like we know if we can just get them to participate in the activity, they're going to learn, right? And the worst thing is if a human being, a child, gets this chronic habit of holding back, not wanting to participate, not wanting to engage, because it becomes a chronic response. And then learning is really limited. And it gets scarier and scarier to apply ourselves, to show up, to engage, to do things. So there's the launching effort, there's the liberating effort. Like, So now we're sort of in the, we're in the mix of being aware but then some difficult stuff is showing up. Old emotions, patterns, whatever it might be, painful body sensations, ambiguous situations, confusing situations. And then this liberating effort is, again, tapping back into the faith that it's safe to make the effort to be aware. It's safe to make the effort to be intimate. Not being confused by obstacles, not being intimidated by obstacles. That's a different kind of effort than the effort when we're totally lost and we then we have some sense of being lost and we have to choose. You know, it's like there's a crossroads between valuing awareness or valuing the juiciness of being lost in thought. And and just that's the launching. The liberating, as it's said, as it's called is when we've got some momentum of awareness, but then it starts to get really difficult. And we start to quake a little bit, like, is it really safe to feel? Is it really safe to see what I see? And then a more refined or developed kind of effort is when we're kind of, it's really nice. This is a very interesting place in practice. And a lot of people, when they first get to this more effortless part of practice when there's a lot of continuity of awareness and mostly wholesome states. And when unwholesome qualities of mind show up, there's enough momentum, the mind sees it, and it loses its power pretty quickly. There's a big habit to use the first two kinds of efforts, which get in the way. So this developed, this third kind of effort is how to stay alert, not to collapse, not to indulge in the peace or the pleasantness of the mind, to stay alert, to stay curious, to stay a learner, but not to do anything neurotic, not to neurotically feel like you have to make effort because that's what you've had to do so much of the other places in your practice. And so it's a whole new art of efforting when we have some momentum in our practice. You could say it's the effort to trust that it's okay to leave good enough alone. Like that that very quiet effort of just being aware, just remembering, you could say, that's enough. There's no other kind of interventions, engagement that the moment is called for. And that's when samadhi has some momentum. So we have the four exertions you could talk about 
any of these three types of effort that I've mentioned. There might be a certain situation in your practice that might make sense. And then the last thing you might talk about in your small groups is just just whatever you've learned about the effort to have awareness. And especially in daily life, this is just an interesting conversation to have with other practitioners. It's like, what actually is the effort? What does the mind have to do to have some thread of awareness through the day? And what kind of effort isn't helpful? So that's an interesting thing you might share in your small groups. So hopefully that gives you enough to kind of reflect on. Launching effort, so when we're lost in thought, liberating effort, the kind of effort you need when you've got some momentum or some continuity of awareness, but things are getting really difficult, doubt is arising or whatever. What kind of effort to not be confused by something difficult? And then that developed effort when things are really smooth, continuity of awareness is good, what is that effort like? And then four exertions we talked about last week, but that might be relevant. Preventing, abandoning, developing, and maintaining. And then the third is just just kind of deconstructing for your group. Like, oh yeah, and you can even do it real time, like there as you're talking and maintaining the threat of awareness. Like, what do you have to do? What what is the mind doing to sustain like an awareness of talking in the body sitting, sensations of the body sitting as you're talking to your small group? And it's often nice, you know, to be real time. And the two people listening, you know, you're can be grounded in the awareness of your body. That will make it easier for you to listen and really show up for the person. And even the person speaking, you know, that awareness of the body can be very helpful to help go beyond any fear. And especially if there are periods of silence where you've run out of things to say, just to hold that space in a really relaxed way until your time is up. And you might have more to say before your time's up and then you say it. So I think uh, last time maybe we counted by 17. Why don't we try that again tonight? Want to start, Ellen? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.